You're listening to Soul Work with San, where we journey through the needed conversation so that we can live, lead, and love better in this life. I'm your host, San, and fam, I'm going to keep it a buck. I'm fired up, okay? I feel like every week, more and more news and events keep piling on. Now, I typically like to keep those things out of this podcast because sometimes it's the amount of news and noise that can contribute to the overwhelm. But 2020 throws all those rules away, okay? And in the past three to six months within Christian community, there's been so much going on and what some would describe as scandal of prominent leaders, pastors, musicians, and others. But today, I want us to look deeper at the greatest scandal that could ever exist. It involves me and you too. To be frank, all of us have participated in it. This is the scandal of grace. It's probably not what you think. Brace yourself for this one. You ready? Let's work. This episode requires me to shoot straight to the point. Screenshots, emails, leaked pictures and videos, and the viral nature that is innate to our digital times has turned some of our worlds upside down. What a time to be alive. Could you imagine if our parents' generation had this much tech in their lives? Or even their parents? Good God. And Lord, do the saints have something to say about it. What I find most intriguing is the intense line in the sand, if you will. On one side, you've got people saying how wrong and shameful it is to not just do the acts, but be caught in them. Folks are sending others to hell, demanding public repentance, and sharing their shock and awe at the humanity of it all. Then you have people on the other side. These folk are keeping it nice and light. They are reassuring and back rubbing, only speaking light and life, declaring that it's not that bad anyway because another person in the church sins too, just a little different. And so that should become the spiritual hall pass to continue to walk in, here's my favorite, your truth. Now, you can't tell because it's a podcast, but I just rolled my eyes real hard. And I'll tell you why later. The wild part about both of these perspectives is that Jesus would not approve, not need a one of them, (laughs) neither one of them. Like you're simply not going to see the Jesus of the scriptures seated in scoffery at the calamity of one of his joint heirs. But you also wouldn't find him singing Kumbaya with people who seek to redefine righteousness based on how they feel that day either. Now, we're so used to an either or kind of thinking, and it doesn't help with this being an election year and a really tense time for most of us. But we've become conditioned to believe that it's either this way or that way, all of one way of thinking or nothing at all. But what do you do when you can see the answer is neither? It's simply Jesus. Now, I've talked about my life as a recovering Pharisee, and I'll be the first one to tell you that to this day, (laughs) when news breaks, that someone has fallen in some sort of way. There's still this small, ever forgetful shock and distaste that tries to arise. How could she do that? How could he say that? What were they thinking? But nowadays, it quickly, did I say quickly? Quickly dissipates as I remember the grace that I've been given through my many, many coulda, shoulda, wouldas and the mercy that came through clutch each and every time. But years ago, In full Pharisee mode, as a hyper-legalist, I'd be the first in line, talking loud, quoting a scripture about righteousness, 
pontificating about judgment and exposure, asking rhetorically why folk just don't want to do right by God, why they just can't seem to get it together. I'd pretend confusion as I quizzed friends sarcastically. What is it with that one? This is why people can't take the church seriously, because we don't take ourselves seriously. We don't live to the standard. Any of that language sound familiar? Man, listen, I knew how to lay it on thick. Of course, closing out these long tribunal style powwows with insincere whispers of prayer and then hoping those people don't get themselves in that kind of trouble again. Smirking with a smug sense of self-righteousness, thanking God that at least I wasn't one of those. Until I learned about the real scandal found in the grace of God. See, Pharisees, legalists, they don't like grace. It goes against their performative nature. If they can't earn it, they don't need it, which is what explains the intense self-righteous behavior you'll find from some of them. Now, at the same time, there's this pervasive thought that since Jesus died for our sins and loves us so much, that love overrides his requirement for righteousness. Now, this fallacy will cause people to believe that it's okay, justifiable even, to do what they feel and call that living in their truth. This is not a new method of deception that's coming to the church. Its proper name is antinomianism. Anti what, sir? <laughs> antinomianism. It's a theological term that literally means against anti-law. And it simply means that people believe that Jesus is Savior, but not Lord. So in other words, you can be saved by Jesus, but you don't have to obey him. Just believe in him and do what feels best to you. And this is why the idea of living in one's truth is not scripturally sound, because if everybody has a truth, then nobody has the truth. And in Matthew, Jesus describes himself as the way and the truth. So if we are aligning ourselves with scripture and with Jesus, then he's the only truth, which means we got to live by his truth and not our own. Now, I imagine that that my truth kind of way feels good in the beginning. And there are many who are convinced this is the way to true liberation for the soul. But I wonder if this path has real meaning. Like, I don't see how pursuing whatever my emotions dictate at the time can lead to somebody fulfilling their life's purpose. To me, it sounds like an empty life. So where does grace come into play and what makes it so scandalous? Yo, y'all always ask the best questions, I swear. <laughs> if you ask any kid born or raised in the pews, grace means unmerited favor. And while true, I found that sometimes we're so used to the lingo and churchy language that we take for granted the truth that's freely available to us. So to summarize it quickly, I want to share three of the most important to me, most important things about grace. Let's make it make sense. Number one, grace is a gift that can never be earned, ever, never be earned. Now, this is a hard truth for those of us who are always used to striving, pushing, fixing, achieving, and bootstrapping our way through life. Too often, many of us find our worth in our work, but over time, that overtime will cause burnout and misery. Grace has come to soothe all of that. You don't. Better yet, you can't ever bring anything to the table that will make you a better candidate for God's goodness. The truth is, none of us deserve any blessing he's ever given. Now, deep down, 
you know this, and so does he. Yet with this knowledge, he still chooses to bestow his goodness on us anyways? Stop playing. That's that good love right there. Peep the freedom on that, chief. (laughs) Now that's Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 for your reading pleasure. Let's get to number two. Grace is not permission to continue in sin. It's power to change. Now, you're not going to hear me ever condone something that Jesus said no to. And willful continuance in sin is precisely what Paul speaks against in Romans 6.1. But I think there's this fear that a lot of church people have. It's rooted really in ignorance. And it's this. If we show love to people first, we think that's us giving our permission or approval to continue to sin. First, it's not our permission or approval to give. So there's that. Secondly, the Bible doesn't have this fear, so neither should we. We don't have to constantly police people's behavior when the most important component of said behavior, which is the heart, we can't know or see. That's not discipleship and that's not our job. We've got to move past that and look to our ultimate model being Jesus so that we can do what he did. Yo, you know, you know what's wild to me? And I'm going to try and say this without hollering. For every disciple that Jesus rolled up on in the Gospels, check it. He never approached them and demanded their cleanliness first. True story. <laughs> like Jesus never demanded them to get clean and then follow. He simply said, follow me and I'll make you. <laughs> because Jesus understood something that we often forget. The cleansing comes in the chase. The cleansing comes with the calling. Perhaps we've become so obsessed with being clean because it helps us hide in plain sight. But that's not the way the gospel works. The gospel was designed to be a bloody mess. There is no clean that we can contribute to his plan. The work of it all, the washing, purifying and right positioning, we call this sanctification, That's all done through him, fam. He did the work. We walk in it. He leads. We follow. He loves. We do too. Good job, son. You made it without the holler. Let's get to number three. Grace provides us the opportunity to extend what we've been given. And see, this is what grieves me most when seeing the reactions of fellow believers respond to another one's mistake. Where did all this audacity come from? Like, how did we forget so quickly that if he ever made our private accounts public, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves? And it's not to say God is out here putting people on blast for fun. Hear me healthily. Everything that God does towards us comes from his heart of mercy. But how quickly we receive it for ourselves and then get stingy when it's somebody else's turn. Stop that. May it never be said among us anymore that when a spiritual sibling was in need of mercy, our hearts were cold and fists were closed. That is not the heart of the one we're being made into. If it's his loving kindness that drew us to him, why do we keep thinking that shame is a strategy for discipleship? You will never make people holy by embarrassing them. It don't work for you. Why would it work for anybody else? We are to extend to others what we've been given. That's love, peace, joy, mercy, 
kindness, and more. That's it for me, fam. It's time to stop living scripture adjacent. Remember Spurgeon's definition of discernment? It's not a decision of right versus wrong as much as it is right versus almost right. He wants us to know him and live like it. So if our actions leads us to less righteousness, we're taking advantage of the gift of God's grace because the presence of grace in our life is evidenced in righteousness through Jesus. Who are we looking more like? I understand and appreciate the the vibes and the waves and the drip and all them things. That's not what I'm talking about. But what does your heart look like? What is your language more aligned with? If we find ourselves with a stronger allegiance to the live and let live uh, nonchalance that cannot be found in scripture, it's time to reevaluate who has our heart. And if we find ourselves more aligned with the rules and regulations of a body and not the actual spirit of the scriptures, it's time to reevaluate who has our heart. I'll leave you with this illustration. Imagine you're on a boat. You chilling with your peoples. Music is playing. Food is going. Everything's great. We're having a great time until one of your dear homies falls over the ship. What are you going to do? Well, one side wants to yell at them for falling in the water in the first place. Ask them what they were thinking and demand a public pledge to never do it again before even looking for the little buoy to help them out. The other side wants to rub homies back and cool empty affirmations in their air while they're flailing around, gasping for breath and in full panic mode. None of these methods are loving. Neither represents Jesus, who without fail, time and time again, he pulls us right out of the water, interceding and ever available for the times we find ourselves back overboard. Here's the truth. Here's the scandal. We will never be able to out the grace of God. This is why Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds even the more. This doesn't cheapen it. It shows the magnitude and abundance of it. This is what should cause our souls to rejoice, that there will never be a place that my foolish decisions take me, that he won't be right there. And isn't that what we all want to know that no matter what we've done, no matter what was done to us, that we are out here hopeless and alone. His completed work of our atonement, our freedom is the good news that our soul needs. So if we can trust him to do that for us, we've got to know that he will do that for others. Say la sugar. So you want a scandal? Just in time for Advent season, read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. In Matthew 1, you're going to find tricksters, harlots, murderers, and hustlers. They're called by name. Check the book, fam. It's fascinating. Yet none of their behavior disqualified them from not only being used by God, but being a part of his earthly lineage. He does not hide where he came from. It's right there in the book as a testament to who he can use. Now, if he can work a miracle through all that mess, imagine what he wants to do with you. So here's my question. 
Name an area in your life that you've been given grace. And secondly, name the person, you already know them, who you need to extend grace to today. Fam, what an episode. Thank you for letting me be with you today. If this brought you any value, I'd be honored if you'd subscribe to the show for more soul-hitting episodes delivered freely to your device each week. Now, would you do me a favor? Leave a rating and a review, please. It helps spread the show to more people. And as a matter of fact, speaking of spreading, please share this episode with your family and friends as soon as you can. I really appreciate that. Now, check out our website, soulworkwithsan.com for more thoughts. We're on Facebook and IG at soulworkwithsan. Hit me up too. You can email me at hello at soulworkwithsahn.com and let me know how you're doing. I want to know how the show can best serve you. So tell me. Now let's heal, fam. We're in this together. Remember, you're only going to hear one of two statements on that fateful day. Well done or depart from me. Let's live accordingly. Love you. Mean it. Talk soon. Thank you.